Thanks for tuning in. I'm Zach, and this is Podcast Junkie, a weekly bite-sized show that gives you a look into a new podcast each week. If you're looking to help further Podcast Junkie and support any podcasts, don't forget to check out our Patreon, patreon.com forward slash podcast junkie, or check out our Discord community. The link to that is available at castjunkie.com, where we have a full line of support indie podcast merch. Profits from Patreon and merch sold all go back to support other people's indie podcasts. Don't forget to subscribe to Podcast Junkie so you can get the next episode as soon as it drops. And rate and review us over on Podchaser or wherever you're listening to help us get our name out there. With that, let's get into this week's review. This week, we're coming to you with another ParCast podcast. Unexplained Mysteries is hosted by Molly Brandenburg and Richard Rossner, where each week, you guessed it, they explore unexplained mysteries. Things like ESP, that's extrasensory perception, the curse of the pharaohs, King Arthur, and so many more. So without talking too much longer, because obviously you all know what an unexplained mystery is, let's dive into an episode and we'll be right back. The Shroud of Turin adheres to these norms. It's a long rectangle of beige linen woven with herringbone twill in a repeating pattern of V's neatly stacked inside each other. It measures about 14 and a half feet by three and a half feet. Most notably, the shroud bears the faint but visible profile of a man. Modern photography has produced negatives of the image imprinted on the cloth and allowed historians to study his profile in greater detail. To this day, it is not known how the cloth came to absorb and display the man's profile. Modern scientists have proposed possible chemical processes that could have led to the image, but nothing has been confirmed. A body one that many believe was Jesus, was laid on top of the shroud, which was then folded over at the head, covering the top of the corpse. Imagine the shroud folded in half lengthwise, with the body lying in between the two halves. So the shroud contains images of the back and front of a human man, about 5 feet 11 inches tall. The image is sepia-toned, faded, and vague, but it is possible to make out the imprint of a naked man bearing the wounds of crucifixion, holes through both wrists and both feet. There is excessive blood on the right side, where Jesus was said to be gouged with a spear, and spottier bleeding from the back, where Jesus was flagellated with a whip. The imprint on the shroud itself is faint, But photographic negatives of the shroud reveal a stunningly detailed image, particularly of the face imprinted in the fabric. The individual hairs of the beard and tiny wounds on the forehead, consistent with scratches from a crown of thorns, are clearly visible. The history of the shroud is well documented after 1353, when a French knight, Geoffrey de Charny, acquired the shroud and placed it in a monastery. Prior to that, there are several unverified stories about cloths that could be the Shroud of Turin. Assyrian text translated around 300 CE by the scholar Eusebius relays a story about King Abgar V. Abgar ruled Edessa, an area in present-day Turkey, from roughly 13 to 50 CE. Throughout his life, King Abgar suffered from a mysterious chronic illness— Many scholars believe that he was struggling to recover from leprosy. 
Leprosy causes loss of feeling in the limbs and skin and often results in disfigurement and gangrenous limbs due to unnoticed infections or wounds. It was an extremely stigmatized disease during King Abgar's time and was considered incurable. When King Abgar heard about the miracles Jesus of Nazareth was performing, he sent an emissary with a letter for Jesus, requesting his healing presence. Jesus wrote back that he couldn't make the journey himself, but he would send a disciple. The disciples didn't make the trip until after Jesus' death and resurrection. Jude the Apostle arrived in Edessa with a cloth that had the image of Jesus' face visible upon it. According to the story, the moment King Abgar looked at the cloth, which was known at this time as the image of Edessa, he was suddenly completely cured of his ailment. Abgar converted to Christianity and declared Christianity the official religion of his entire kingdom. The image of Edessa stayed with Abgar during the remainder of his reign. After King Abgar's death, his son Menu returned to paganism. Christianity was outlawed in Edessa, and all Christians in the kingdom either fled, went underground, or were executed. The image of Edessa disappeared. It was assumed that the cloth had been destroyed in the purge. There was no mention of the shroud in historical record for nearly 500 years, but then, miraculously, it reappeared. There are a few different stories about how and when the shroud reemerged after Christianity was outlawed in Edessa. Each one of them adds something different to the shroud's legend. Around 525 CE, Edessa suffered devastating floods that leveled much of the city and killed one-third of the population. As the city was rebuilt, a cloth was found wedged into a crack high up on the damaged west gate into Edessa. Someone took great pains to store it there. The crack where the cloth was found was well above average human height and protected from the floodwaters. Perhaps one of the faithful was looking to shield it during Manu's authoritarian rule. When the cloth was removed and unfolded, it bore the image of a crucified man. It would seem that this was the image of Edessa still intact after hundreds of years. Author John C. Iannone tells a slightly different story about the chance discovery of the shroud in his book, The Three Cloths of Christ, the Emerging Treasures of Christianity. In 544 CE, Edessa was threatened by a Persian attack from King Khosro. Procopius of Caesarea, a historian who documented the period, wrote of the conflict, quote, The walls of Edessa were tall and strong, but the Persians built a huge tower to overtop them, whence from their great number they could swamp the garrison. But before the tower was completed, the defenders burrowed underneath it, made a chamber, and filled it with highly flammable material and set it ablaze. So as we just heard in Unexplained Mysteries, Molly and Richard go back in time, dissect the minute details of the story, and try and break it down to explain what previously was unexplained. The thing I love about Unexplained Mysteries, it's an incredibly deep dive in historical mysteries, which is something that I truly do have a passion for. They also take their time and present all the theories that have been presented through the ages and try to walk through them and unravel them to see what sticks and what doesn't. 
So if you're always up for a mysterious history, then subscribe to Unexplained Mysteries and let Richard and Molly break down some of the most unexplained mysteries of modern day. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoy listening to Unexplained Mysteries or any other podcast we've previously covered, which can all be found wherever you're listening to Podcast Junkie. You can find us at Cast Junkie on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, so follow us, won't you? We'll be posting links to this show and all others we cover on them. Have a podcast suggestion? Send them to us at castjunkie.com and we'll get it on our list. Until next week, don't forget to binge all the podcasts we've been highlighting. Bye.